come this morning just overwhelmed with just like uh, how much I love you guys. Like, I love this church. Uh, this week, I, uh, as I mentioned, just at this conference, and we're just getting excited hearing like testimonies of students who went and, and just hearing uh, just the emphasis on the local church and going and sending. And, and, and I just thought, man, I just love my church. I just can't wait to get home and preach, and I actually made a post about that, and, 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 and like, this is like why I just love you guys so much, to my knowledge at least. I made a post this week that said, hey, just want to apologize to the nursery workers uh, that I may preach for a really long time, and, uh, and, and, and um, I saw like people started liking that, and I noticed that those who liked it were like nursery workers. I'm like, this is crazy. And then, um, to my knowledge, I didn't see like anywhere on the news feed, maybe there's another one I don't know about, but it was like where like the nursery workers said, hey, can you trade me Sundays? I don't think any of that happened. I think those of you who work this Sunday are like, are there. You didn't like trade spots. So like, I'm just, man, I'm just thankful for a church that like, this is not an event this morning. Like you're not coming to some event and, and you're just here to worship and here. Your family, we're all moving together on this purpose. We're broken together, serving the Lord together. So, man, I'm just so thankful for you guys. I absolutely love this church. Excited for 2019, just some stuff that God is doing. Um, I'm excited to see how this, this conference just works in the hearts of the students that were able to go. And if you brought a Bible, won't you turn with me to Matthew 16? It's, it's amazing how the Lord works if... Uh, just hearing just the incredible stuff that God is doing all around the world and, and, and how he's using the local church to, to, to push back darkness. And if, if, if I could come back and just preach two chapters, like I, one of the two chapters would be Matthew 16. The other would be Matthew 28. Uh, we're just so excited. And so Matthew 16 was already stirring in my heart as I was preparing it, but then it seemed like just about every speaker there would reference Matthew 16. This is a, an incredible passage. It's an important one. Um, in fact, I will probably, um, not probably, I, I will take the next few weeks to, to, to spend on part of Matthew 16. Um, so let's, uh, let's read this together. And, and you're going to see this morning, like, this is the institution of the church. This is the first time we see Jesus speak the word church. Is right here in Matthew 16. Uh, it's such an important passage for us. Um, and so that's what we're looking at this morning is the institution of the church. Why, why do we gather? Like we're not going to get all that this morning. But why do we do this? Like this is where it all began right here in Matthew 16. Um, verse 1 begins like this. It says, And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be um, stormy day today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. 
When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you have little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not yet remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood what he did, that he did not tell them to be, beware of leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone come, would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that, that you would... Um, help us, Lord, just as you help Peter uh, to see Christ for who he is. May you help us today uh, to see you for who you are. May you remove blindness from us. May you 
open up parts of our heart that have been darkened, that um, you've been wanting to work on, Lord, may today be the day that you just reveal maybe hidden sin to us. Convict us, Lord, of ways of uh, that we're not following you well, where areas where we're being disobedient, where we're seeking our own selves, our own uh, desires, uh, where we're not denying ourselves and taking up our cross, Lord. May you reveal these areas in our heart this morning, Lord. I pray that you'd speak through me, Lord. I pray that you'd be kind and gracious to do so, uh, that you would use me and my, uh, my limited words, vocabulary, Lord, uh, to explain the mysteries of the, the gospel uh, of this church that you've given. Uh, so, Lord, may, may we be encouraged this morning. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Out of all the institutions in the world, and there are many, the only one that will be left standing when it's all said and done is the church. That's it. There'll be no Apple. There'll be no Marshall. Um, there'll be no United States. The only thing left when it's all said and done will be what started here as Jesus began to, to um, instruct and inform and teach his, his disciples about the institution of the church. And this morning, what I want you to see is, is, is who's not a part of the church. I want you to see um, uh, why they're not a part of the church. I want you to see who is a part of the church. And I want you to see how that had to happen, like in order for us to be a part of it, what had to take place. And I want you to see what's expected of those who are a part of the church. So that's kind of the big outline as we walk through these sections of Matthew 16. Um, If you remember, if you've been here um, last couple weeks, chapter 14, it it was this picture that Jesus was satisfying the Jews when he was... Feeding the 5,000 in, in, in chapter 14. Last week we saw where he was doing another similar miracle, but this time it was to the Gentiles and they were satisfied. So you're seeing like this picture of the church here that the Jews and the Gentiles, Christ is going to satisfy them both. And then you see at the end of um, last week in, in, in chapter 15 that. They got into a boat and they left that region, so now they're moving back to where it's a Jewish region, and as they get back to a Jewish region, region, guess who's there waiting for him? Like if this was a, a movie, this would be like, like you'd hear like an evil sound, like dun, 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 like here's the Pharisees and Sadducees, you see in, in verse 1, like they're there and they're like waiting for him to get off the boat and they're there to test him in verse 1. Um, you see their heart, man, and we've seen that all along. That the Pharisees and Sadducees, they did not care who he was. That God became flesh and walked among them. And this is like who they were like teaching about. And and like they just didn't care. They didn't want to get to know him. Because what, what what they didn't like about him was that he had authority. And if he had authority, then that meant they didn't. And they didn't like that. And so they wanted to test him. And so here they're, they're, they're testing him again. And, and um, I don't know if you knew this. I, I, 
This is amazing. Like, you know how, like, there's that phrase, like, red skies at night, sailors delight, red skies in the morning, sailors take warning. That's right here in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Like, it's not new. This has been around for years. And so here's this concept, like, they're, they're asking Jesus, they're trying to trick him about, like, give us a sign from heaven. Now, when you think about our journey through Matthew since September, my goodness, can you just shout out this morning, name some of the signs that you, you've heard. It's okay, go ahead. <laughs> Feeding the 5,000, thank you, we just talked about that one, right? That's an easy one. Somebody else? Turning water into wine? He, they've seen that or at least heard about it? Feeding of the 4,000. Thanks, Joe. I mean, my goodness, he's, he's healed um, sickness, lame. Uh, at this point, um, people have been raised from, from dead to life. Um, and here they're going, hey, can we get another sign? Doesn't it seem like, and Jesus is like... If you don't see it, you're not going to see it. Like, uh, the, the presence of God is among you. And, uh, and, and so he, you know, he rebukes them. He says, like, you, guys, you guys can understand that, like, red skies at night, so there's the light. But you don't have a clue what, that the Son of Man is right in front of you. And you're a, you're a teacher of the law. You're the leaders of Israel. And, and you don't see this? That I'm right in front of you. If you don't see this, then you're not going to see any other sign I've done. And, and he likens himself to Jonah in, in verse 4. He, he says, but, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And so he's, he's and this is the second time he's compared himself to Jonah. That with Jonah, Jonah was swallowed up for three days and spit out. And here is, it's, he's referencing, again, which he does a little bit later in this chapter, that he's going to suffer and die, and he's going to be swallowed up death for three days, and the grave will spit him out, and we'll see this resurrection. And, and so he's, he's making this idea that he's showing them that you guys are blind. And so who's not a part of the church? The blind. And uh, many of the, fa- the, the Pharisees were blind. They just didn't see um, Christ for who he was. And so the blind are not a part of the church. So now... Don't mix up that now, like this, as we call this church, there can really be people who are blind in here. And I'm not talking about physically blind, but spiritually blind. Um, that there are, there's like this mixture. When we gather together, that those who love Christ are in this room. And you see, man, you, you sing these songs and you just, yes, Lord, I get it. Thank you for saving me. But I know there's blind people in here too that just don't get it. And so even when we gather, there's a mixture. Um, so, but in the church, like the universal church, okay? So we're going to have to make some distinctions. I'm going to spend a few weeks on this because we've got to get this right. That in this congregation, um, hopefully the members are the ones that like see, and that's part of the process of membership, that you cannot be a lost person and be a member of this church. That's just the way it works. Um, but you can be lost and say that you go to this church. And we want you here. Like, we want you to be here. Uh, we want you to invite your lost friends to Sunday morning. And this is not just for saved people. We want others to come and hear the word of God preached and hear singing and be encouraged by um, our congregation. So there's this mixture here. But 
When I say church, I'm not talking about Sunday morning service. I'm talking about who's in Christ, who has this union with Christ, who have a relationship with Him that when um, He does return, they'll be a part of this uh, kingdom forever. That's what I mean by church. And so the blind will not be there. Scripture is clear. Not everybody is a part of the church, and the blind are not there. Um, and so we see why. There's a warning in um, verses uh, 5 to 12. Jesus leaves that setting, and he's with uh, his disciples, and he gives them this warning. Um, and in verse 6, Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, this, for whatever reason, I don't know if they were tired, just not paying attention, this really confused them. So they began to talk about, like, what, what in the world, like, what does it mean, this bread? We have no bread. Who brought the bread? And she's like, no, like, I never even mentioned bread. I mentioned leaven, and your, your brain went straight to bread. Um, you guys know that I don't need, like, I can feed you already. Like, I don't, I don't need, you've seen these miracles. Like, I'm not talking about bread. What I'm talking about is the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. What in the world is this leaven? The leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees are something we deal with even today. I deal with myself. You deal with it. Um, the Pharisees and Sadducees, though they were united against Jesus, uh, you probably couldn't find a more like, different group of people. Pharisees and Sadducees, they were just different. Pharisees, like, they were religious leaders. They, they loved the law. They loved, I mean, we, might, we probably call them like legalists. You know, very much like, this is the law, like, do this, don't do that. Um, and so, they were, like, self-righteous. Okay, so that's part of this leaven, is this self-righteousness. Sadducees, they, were, they weren't, like, religious leaders. They were more, like, political leaders. Uh, they would work along with um, the Pharisees, but they were this different party. And what was important about them that you should know is they did not believe in a resurrection. They're not believing like eternal life. Um, and so what they, what they thought, well, if there's no resurrection, you know, the logic is if there's no afterlife that we're living for, then that means we're living for now. So let's get all that we can right now. Sounds a lot like Americans. And, and so the Sadducees, if the Pharisees were about self-righteousness, the Sadducees were about self-indulgence. So they just wanted like, let me just get as much as I can. And if we're honest, if you search your heart, you can find both Pharisees and Sadducees inside you. True? And so there's moments where I can become self-righteous, and there's moments where I, I can just be a consumer. And like, I just, I just forget about out there, and I just think about now, and like, how can I just get everything I can now and make, make and build my kingdom here? And so... That's what Jesus is warning them about. Hey guys, like I, I'm doing this work. Like, and you can't you can't be about self righteousness. You can't be about self indulgence. And so he gives us some, this warning about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then he takes them to a place, and this is so incredible. He does this in verse 13. He takes them to this district of Caesarea Philippi. This would be like. And, and, and honestly, we don't have a comparison. I mean, I, maybe like Mardi Gras, like New Orleans Mardi Gras. Um, this was just like a very corrupt place. Uh, evil. I mean, this was an evil, wicked place. 
where there was um, rape going on. Um, uh, it was just corrupt to the utmost. And Jesus takes his disciples. That's the setting of these verses here. Um, and he takes them. Um, and they're there together. And he says, he asks them a question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And, and, and they answer, they say, well, you know, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, uh, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And, and so, you know, he, he's asking them a question about who do who others think that I am. And they give these responses. And then he, he, he asks the most important question that has ever been asked. And, and, it, and it's the, just as important today. It's the most important question you'll ever be asked in your entire life. And the question isn't, how much money have you made? The question isn't, uh, what do you do? The question isn't, um, are you married? Uh, are you divorced? Uh, how much um, you know, retirement do you have saved up? Um, are you ready for that season of life? That's not what Jesus is like preparing them for. Uh, he asked the question um, in verse 15. But who do you say that I am? And the you there, we miss it in English, but in Greek it's, it's, it's a plural. So he's not just looking to one of them. He's looking to all of them, the, his, his disciples, 12 disciples. And he's saying, who do you all say that I am? That's the Appalachian version. Um, who do you all say that I am? And uh, Simon, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. The son of the living God. Um, this is the most important question that you can ever answer. Who, who do you, not, not just who do the people say, who, who do your mom and dad think Jesus is, who, who, who does your spouse think Jesus is, who do you? So kids, this is not a question right now, kids, like, Jesus isn't saying to you, what does mommy and daddy think about Jesus? Jesus is looking at you, kids, and he's saying, who do you say that I am? Uh, and, and there's no more important, this question, how you answer it, will determine everything about your eternity. It will determine your address of where you spend, will you spend forever in heaven with him, glorifying him forever with the church? Or will you be with the blind? Will you spend forever in hell? And, this, and I, the description of hell, I, I, words, just words like weeping and gnashing of teeth, burning, everlasting. And, and, and it all comes down to this question. Who do you say that I am? How you answer that is everything. And Peter just gets it right. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is just like, yes. Like in verse 17, Jesus answers him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That is such a comforting verse. See, for, for Peter, 
What, what, what makes Peter, have you ever thought about this, what makes Peter different than the other, like the people here? When they missed it, when they were saying, well, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, John the Baptist, why does Peter get it right? Does he see more signs? It's not what, it's not what Jesus says there. He says, good job, Peter, you figured it out. Good job. You've seen all the signs I've done, and now you know it's me. You've, you've figured it out, like, you've discerned it. And I, I pray that you get this, and some of you, you're not going to like how this sounds, but it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is why we stand and we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound, who saved the wretch like me. Because I I can't convince you, my goodness, if I could, I would convince, I would do my best to convince every one of you that Jesus is the Christ, but I can't do it. Only, Only the Father can do this. It's a working of the Spirit. Uh, John 6, Jesus explains it this way in John, John's gospel. John 6, 44 says this. Let's put this on the screen. No, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws, me, or draws him. Um, this, this idea of like, God is drawing people. All of us has been swooed by God. We, he's all like, God has like ministered to us. He, he, he's, he's opened up our eyes so that we can respond to Him. It's, it's not that like one day you figured it out. It's not like this hidden code. It's, it's by God's good grace that He's opened up our eyes. And that's why we have to beg and plead. That's why like prayer is so important. And God, I pray that you would save my dad. And you would open up his eyes. Uh, I'd heard the gospel before in my life. But it wasn't until I was 21 that, like, it made sense. It wasn't like that somebody sat down with me, like, with this apologetics Bible. And I know some of you have those, and those are incredible. I think we should study apologetics. But apologetics alone does not move and change a man's heart. It's changed by, by God. And, and, and Jesus is saying, Peter, God's done a great work in your life that because you can say you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that's only because my Father who is in heaven has revealed that to you. And that is the same for all, all of us this morning. If you love Jesus, just know that God has worked in your life to where you see him and that, that, that you've been convicted of your sin and that you've confessed and you've repented. Um, but that's a work of God. It's not about the signs because thousands of people have seen signs at this point. But yet Peter's the one who's confessed. And this is, this is the first time we see this. That we, we saw a little bit of it, that they worshipped him after the uh, calming of the sea. But here, they, that you are the Christ. This is the first time we see a disciple make this 
statement. And Jesus goes on in verse 18, he says, I will tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. This is the institution of the church. This is Jesus affirming, saying, this whole idea that Jews and Gentiles are, are coming together, that, that I'm about all nations, that, that and this, again, remember, this is a Jewish audience, they, they, they love Father Abraham, and Jesus is showing them, your bloodline, your physical bloodline is not what makes you a son of Abraham. What makes you a son of Abraham is your confession. And a Gentile who has no lineage from Abraham, they'll be sons and daughters of Abraham of other bloodlines. And uh, this would have been shattering to Peter and this, this, the disciples, thinking that God is working through the Gentiles, this thing called the church. And I just want you to understand this. I, I, I want you to be overwhelmed for a moment. I want you to think how... How silly this is, in, in one sense. Jesus is saying here, essentially, that, that all nations will bow down to me. I mean, that's kind of the theme of Matthew. Ma- Matthew is saying that Jesus is king, he is Lord. And, and, and those of you um, who have never bowed down and made him Lord, guess what? He's still your Lord. He, he's still Lord. And you will bow down, you will bow down to him um, at some point, either while in this life or the next. But you will bow down to Jesus as Lord. And he's saying, the means that I'm leaving the world to bring all the nations to know me is the church. So just look around the room right now. You're not doing it. I mean, look around the room. Look at each other. This is the hope of the nations. This is who God has left to carry out his mission. I mean, you think about getting the walkie-talkie out, and, you know, I'm, I'm a general, and I've got this plan, and, and man, I, I want to get the best soldiers. Um, if I want to make this mission happen, I'm getting the best of the best. I'm getting Navy SEALs. Special forces, you know, I'm getting army rangers. I want the best to carry out this mission. Is that how you feel? Do you feel like you're part of the elite, the best of the best? See, you probably don't. I feel inadequate most days. And this is an amazing mystery here. That God, this is why we have to understand that the deck is stacked. This is incredible. Like, Jesus, like, Jesus is going to use us because he can. Like, he's all-powerful, he's sovereign, he's in control. If, if, if that general, if he knew that he could... When with the least of these, 
then when he did, then he would know like it wasn't because of like them, it was about him. And that's a part of what he's doing. He's, God calls the least of these, that's us, okay, if that doesn't help you make you feel even better. Uh, but he calls the least of these to reach the world. And we know that we win. Uh, and so this should give us like confidence and boldness. Uh, some of you know that I love magic. Not like not like like witch like witchcraft or like I like magic, like magic tricks. And um there's one magic trick that's called the three card Monty. Maybe you've sometimes you'll see that on TV. It's like you'll see it in like New York streets. They'll have like three cards and they move them all around and you know, you find the red card. You're not gonna win. <laughs> like they'll show you the red card. But then it's gone. They do some things, and I won't tell because there's this code of honor. I'm not going <laughs> to reveal this. But you're not going to win. Uh, that guy's going to win every time. The, the deck has been stacked. It's rigged against you. I mean, all magic's that way. I mean, just tell you, you, you never win. You're like, ah, oh, that time again. <laughs> That's what's going on right now. God created the whole entire universe. God loved mankind. He, he created them in his own image. Genesis 1, 26, 27. Mankind rebelled against God. Was God shocked? No. He knew it was going to happen. He already had a plan. The cross was, remember, again, you got to keep all this together. The cross was not plan B. The cross was plan A. From the very beginning, he knew that Christ was going to come and die. And that he was going to use this thing called the church. And then he, he knew even before time about this final thing that we call heaven. He knew all that. So he has this plan already worked out. It's rigged. We win. So like we should walk around with like, like this boldness, this confidence to share our faith. And not care like about rejection and persecution, what's to come, which is what we're going to get to in a minute. But we walk around with confidence because of what Jesus has done for us. That we win. The church, we stand in victory. I'm going to Listen, we've got to understand what the church is. If this is the means that God is using to reach the nations, we can't mess this up, Right? And so we're going to take the next few weeks just looking at what is the church. Here, this word church here is a word, maybe you've heard of ecclesia. Um, and it just means a, an assembly as, at its core. Um, and, then, and then look, it says, the gates of hell should not prevail against it. Uh, that, that phrase, gates of hell, or um, uh, gates of Hades, or... Um, like gates of death, like it depends on how you translate that. But this idea of like Jesus has overcome death. He has victory over the gates of death. And now our role as a church, and we're going to unpack this over the next few weeks, is we get to set the captives free. 
See, that's the cool part about who we are. Like, we did nothing to deserve salvation, and yet He calls us along for this journey, that we get to set the captives free. We get to be a part of that. Hey, let me tell you the greatest news ever, that you can have life in Christ. All these things you're searching for that, that are just, you're just not happy, satisfied, they're found in Christ. Let me tell you about that. We get to tell the greatest story ever told. I mean, think about this, that God became flesh. That the one who created and spoke everything in existence, that, and he saw mankind rebel, and, and many chapters, uh, passages, we see that because of this rebellion, we deserve death. His wrath should be poured out upon us. But he goes, man, I love them so much, I don't want that to happen. And so i got to do something about it. Because they'll never be good enough. So he leaves his throne, he comes to earth, lives a perfect life, suffers, as we all see, dies, raises from the dead, so that we can have life, so that we can be saved. He takes our place. Like, who can make that up? It's an incredible story. And so we're going we're gonna to unpack the church. And verse 19 is really important. I'm, I'm not going to unpack it this morning. We're going to wait. I'm going to do that. It also comes up again in chapter 18 about this idea of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in the heaven. I just want you to understand that the, that the authority that God has given, and, and man, this is so profound. The authority that Christ has, Christ is giving that authority. That authority to the church. That, that, that's, that's incredible. Like that's, that's scary. And so we got to make sure we understand what the church is. So we'll spend some time on that the next few weeks. Um, so that's, that's who's in um, this institution of the church. Those who confess Christ. Those, who are, those that can see they're no longer blind. Um, now we see how that happens, and I just explained that. It, it, it took the substitution, uh, and so Jesus explains to the disciples that I must go and suffer and die um, and be raised on the uh, third day. I mean, he's telling them this right, very clearly. And I love Peter. Here's Peter. Like, he just, Jesus just affirms them like, well done, Peter. You get it. Good job. And like many of us, like, we'll do something great. And then Peter turns around and gets this. Peter rebukes Jesus. It, it, bold Peter, verse 22. But Peter took him aside like he's doing him a favor. Hey, Jesus, can we have a talk? I just, man, I just, I heard something you said. And I know you haven't got to Matthew 18 yet, so I don't know about the one-on-one um, but I'm gonna, I think I already know that's probably a good idea. I shouldn't rebuke you in front of everybody. So let me just go ahead and bring you off one-on-one. And he pulls Jesus aside. And he says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. And Jesus <laughs> turns to Peter and he says, I'm, I have no idea. Like, Peter thinks maybe he's doing Jesus a favor. Uh, you ever confronted someone and it just goes wrong? <laughs> so it's Peter. He confronts Jesus. And listen, let me just, let me just tell you. We all do this. 
if, you're, if you've ever been mad at God because he didn't do something you want him to do or didn't do something that you think he sh- should have done, you're rebuking him. That's what you're doing. I mean, in a sense, you're, you're saying, how dare you, God? How dare you? So we're, again, we're, we're no different than Peter. Just as quickly as he's celebrated, he's brought back down. It's not about him. And, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Here he says, I'm going to build my church on you. And he says, you're Satan. Like, how do you go from there to there? You're this rock. And I'll explain more about the rock in the coming weeks. But, like, there's a play on words there uh, that's incredible. Um, Peter's name means rock. And so here, this idea of building and on this rock. Um, and so here, this rock. But then he says, get behind me, Satan. Uh, you are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So important for us. Jesus is showing Peter. It, Jesus is going back with this language back to Matthew 4. Remember when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness by Satan himself? And the last temptation was Satan was trying to get Jesus to bypass suffering. Remember, Satan said, I'll, I'll give you the kingdom. You know, I'll give you everything. I'll give you this world. And Jesus says, no, no, no. He says, be gone, Satan. Uh, And so Satan and Peter both wanted Jesus to establish the kingdom without something very important, something necessary for Jesus, and it was suffering. Jesus had to suffer. He knew that it was necessary for him to suffer. It was necessary for Jesus to suffer, but now he shifts to that we should be willing to suffer. So he had to suffer. Jesus is saying to his disciples, he, he, he tells after this in, in the rest of the chapter, 24 through 28, he tells them that I have to suffer, but if you want to be one of my disciples, you should be willing to suffer. So let's finish up. Let's close up with it. Verse 24, he says to the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so this is a rebuke against Peter saying, Peter, you're, you, all you're doing right now is thinking about here. You're trying to set up the kingdom here, and I'm trying to set up this heavenly kingdom. And, and Peter's just thinking about the things of man. And so Jesus says, and this is, this is the same thing he's saying to us. These are questions and things we've got to think through. Um, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross. Let him follow me. Three things there that if you want to know if you're a disciple, there are three good, you know, just checkpoints. Are, are you denying yourself? My goodness, this is the whole self-indulgence of the Sadducees. When you become a follower of Christ, this is what's happening. You are surrendering everything to Him. And, and, and so, so your desires, and this is, not the, this is not the American dream, your desires, your ambitions, your goals, your visions are no longer yours. That, that, that's not what being a disciple is about. That it's not about your ambitions. 
It's not about what you want to accomplish in this life and your dreams. And it's about God's desires, His ambitions, His dreams, His goals, His mission. That's what it means. You're surrendering everything. You're saying, it's not mine, it's yours. And so now your dreams, your visions, your ambitions are His. Whatever His is, that's what you're carrying out as a disciple. I mean, you think about, you know, that, that whole military imagery. A commander is giving this, you know, this is the goal, this is the mission. The privates aren't going, yeah, but I'm going to do my own thing. No. They're carrying out the general's mission. If not, then they're gone. And so that's, this is the idea, that you're surrendering it all, that you're taking up your cross. Strange language, right? I mean, think about that context. In today's context, it'd be like if I said, you know, take up your lethal injection. Take up the electric chair. I mean, the cross was a way of, of murder. I mean, it was, it was a way of uh, judgment. And, and so that's this language here, that we're willing to die, that we're just... I'm dying to myself. That's no longer about me. I'm living for you. And I will follow you. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is a great reversal, right? This is like this strange thing. Like, you want to find your life? Give it up. So many of you, like, you're looking for purpose and meaning in your life, and you're searching for all your ambitions, your goals, your desires. You're never going to find it. You're gonna, it's going to lead to death. You're going to be miserable. All the money, we're not going to fill that hole. Relationships, not going to fill it. But when you lay it all down, whoever loses his life for my sake, you'll find it. You'll find life. And man, that's like, and I know it's like, some of you right now, you get it, right? Like you come back from this conference and you're just like, I'm willing to just lay it all down. I don't know what that means exactly. If that means to stay here and invest or, or to go um, from a sender. But I just, I just, I'm just willing to, to die to myself so that I can live. That's the calling. Um, you know, what, what, what does it profit a man? Verse 26, if he gains the whole world, forfeits his soul. What are we living for? All the stuff you're going to get, it just stays here. Make investments. And I want to encourage you, like, be sacrificial this year. Give, support people who are overseas, support people who are here locally. Like, just give. Oh, you can't take any of that with you. Just give, give of your life, your, your, your time. Pray that you're serving some way. That you're not trying to make this world everything. And then he says, the son of man is going. I love this. Sometimes we think, man, like, I don't want to give this up. Jesus says, give it up. I'm going to do something better anyways. Look at this. For the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Now, this is extremely encouraging and extremely frightening. He's going to repay every person. Okay. So for some, that means you're going to, what he's going to repay them is wrath. That's what they've earned. And so he's going to give them, Romans 6, 23, he's going, to, he's going to give them what they've earned. 
And that's what they've earned. Um, Romans 6.23. But for those who are in Christ, those who have denied themselves, take up the cross and follow Jesus, they've surrendered everything, He's going to repay you. Whatever you give up, that you think is like the sacrifice, like you're like, man, this is really tight. I got to think between like me getting this or like giving to this. Like, man, I'll just say let, let go of this worldly thing if you can. Um, you know, like um, really like think through these things. Um, make sacrifices. Live like you're, live like this is temporary. You know, like I think when we go on mission trips, like we just live very frugal. But then when we come back here, we just like live however. This is not home. We are missionaries here in Huntington. And, and, and so what Jesus is saying, like, all this stuff, if you give up for me, I'm going to repay you. When I come back, I'm going to repay you. And, and some of you, you don't even like that language. Like, you don't want to be repaid. Like, but, but understand, like, Jesus is going to repay you. He's going to... Now, whether or not, and like when Revelation, you see, like, the crowns that were given to the elders, they give them right back. So maybe Jesus gives you things. In, this, in the afterlife, but then maybe you just give them right back. I don't know. But I just know from here and from other passages that you will be rewarded for following Christ. And then verse 28, um, uh, it's, a, it's a strange verse. It says, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. I like to just avoid that, but I know that some of you, you've already heard that, and you're like, what in the world does that mean? If I don't talk about it, like, you're going to be confused. Just know that, like, there's no good explanation of this. Like, there's nothing satisfying to me or many other theologians. Um, so let me just give you four, I think, possible ones. They could all be wrong, but maybe one of those are right. Uh, and so what this could mean, it could mean the very next chapter, the transfiguration. And, and so maybe that's what they mean by, like, seeing Jesus, um, the Son of Man, like, this whole idea of, like, some of them there that day would see this, this glorified Jesus, transfiguration, maybe, could be. It could be the resurrection, um, that they would see him, that some of you would not die yet until you see Jesus being resurrected. It could be coming of the Holy Spirit, um, that, that the presence of God is just moving in a different way. So some of you would be able to see that. Or it could be that the... Um, the spread of, like, the church, that some of them standing that day would be able to see, would not, they would not taste death until they see the church go out. Could be one of those four. It can't be all of those, but it could be one of those or it could be none of those. So uh, I'm just saying you, you pray about it. No, it's not a hill to die on. But this idea that Jesus says, some of you there will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Just know that He's coming. I think that's what we need to understand. Jesus is coming. He's returning. And He's returning for this one institution that will be left standing, the bride, the church. He's coming back for His bride. And um, um, this morning, we get a great opportunity just to reflect. And so I just let's take some time to reflect this morning. I'm just going to take a lot of these statements and just ask them as questions. So here's some questions for you. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he your buddy? Is he this spiritual Santa Claus guy that like gives you things? Is he your genie in a bottle? 
Who is Jesus to you? You've got to answer this question. You will, you will give an answer. I'll just remind you, will give, whether you answer it today or not, you will give an answer. But how you answered in this life is the only one that's going to matter. I pray that you see Jesus as the Christ, the saving one, the one that makes a way for you that you can't save yourself. Have you died to yourself? Have you gotten over your goals, your dreams, your ambitions, your plans? Have you surrendered them to Christ? Are you willing to take up your cross? And listen, in our context, we're probably not going to be martyred. I heard so many stories this week of how people today are still being martyred. Here in America, we're not going to face that for a while. I think one day we probably will, but we, but we are persecuted. This idea of taking up the cross, suffering, you will suffer, being a follower of Christ. And then the last question is, are you following him? Are you following Jesus? You know, if you were playing the game, follow the leader, would you already be out? How well are you following Jesus? And let me just remind you, um, repentance is a way of following Jesus. So when you get out of the game, you say, Lord, please forgive me for that. And it's a terrible metaphor because it breaks down in many ways. But the idea that you're back in the game, like your fellowship with him. Um, So how well are you following Jesus? This morning we have a great opportunity. Um, Something tangible is going to be in front of you this morning to, to see what had to happen for us to be a part of the church? And what had to happen was Jesus had to die. His body had to be broken. His blood had to be shed. And so we get a, an opportunity this morning to come participate in the Lord's Supper. And so if you're part of the church, um, you don't have to be a member of this church, but if you are a part of the church, um, if you're a follower of Christ and we... I want you to, we want to invite you to come and participate. So you take a piece of the bread and you dip it in the cup, and that's something tangible for you to remember what Christ has done for you. But before you come, make sure that, that you've repented of sin, that, that there's no relationships that need to be um, reconciled. But you come whenever you're ready. Either, either both stations are the same, um, so you come whenever you're ready. So let me, let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you'd prepare our hearts to face you. Um, That we would come before the table. That we would see that you are broken. uh, That your blood was shed for us. Lord, may we never forget this incredible truth of the gospel. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.